Turn with me to a couple of openings. We've been on a series for some weeks now. We're calling Perfection Through Correction. Very significant, I believe. Has to do with growing up in God, developing. There are many benefits to growing up in God. You know, little ones don't enjoy the same rights and privileges as adults. They can't go and do the things that an adult can go and do. And that's true spiritually too. The Bible talks about this. And uh, also Ephesians talks about that if you're still a child spiritually, you can be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. That means you're easily fooled. Well, little children are easily fooled, right? But not those who have matured in understanding. So does anybody want to grow up and not just be a little baby, a little child, but you want to grow up spiritually, I'm talking about. You understand, you could be 80 years old and be a little baby in Christ, right? And here's another thing, you don't develop just by reason of time. You could have been born again 40 years ago. And still be an infant in Christ. You don't just automatically grow by reason of time. You must be fed real spirit food. And you must exercise yourself in the things of God. Well in Philippians the third chapter if you'd look please. Philippians 3. We'll begin in verse 12. The Spirit of God through Paul. Is saying, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. These words attain and apprehend have to do with obtaining or taking or laying hold of. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Now, this is what, like the third time or so, he's referred to perfection in this passage. Let us as many as be perfect be thus minded, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Does that sound like correction? You're thinking wrong, and you need to have something revealed to you so that you think right. And he says this in connection with perfection. You'll see correction and perfection in this verse and in the other text we're about to read. But he keeps referring to perfection. There are many verses in the Bible about being perfect. And uh, in modern vernacular, that to most people, English language and other languages too, it means flawless. To be perfect means to be flawless, without defect, without deficiency. Perfect. And there's a common belief amongst church-going people is that nobody's perfect. In fact, some churches, that's one of their main emphasis, is that we're a church full of imperfect people and imperfect lives. God knows that we're not perfect. But is that what the Bible emphasizes? Is that what he told us? And what's Paul talking about? About being perfect here. Or what is Jesus talking about when he said. Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. How are we to take that? And when Jesus said. The disciples not above his master. But everyone uh, you know that's perfect. Will be as the master. What does that mean? Or like when he said in Ephesians. This is why God gave gifts unto men. For the perfecting. Of the saints. That we might grow up to a perfect man. 
What does that mean? We need to dispense with the traditional religion that nobody's perfect and the implication that nobody could be. And get renewed in our mind at what he's talking about. Friend, one of the worst enemies of the Bible is religion. Remember Jesus said to individuals, some of the most religious individuals of his day, you have made the word of God of no effect by your traditions. It's happening all over the place that people are just discarding the word of God like it doesn't even exist, but they will fight you over their traditions. And it's not for us to judge anybody else, but friend, examine yourself. When you realize something you believe, something you feel strongly about, discipline yourself to ask the question, where is this in the Bible? Where is it? I know the Lord challenged me about that back when I first went to uh, uh, Rama Bible Training Center there in Oklahoma. I was there for a few months and I was learning so much and, and the Lord challenged me. Just that very thing. Examine everything you believe. Don't just let somebody tell you this is this way and you go, okay. <laughs> I don't care who they are. I don't care how many degrees they have. I don't care if they're a so-called expert in the field. You got two sources of things to believe. Man and God. And men's opinion apart from God is no better than your opinion. I don't care who they are. And yours apart from God is no good either. People say, well, I got a right to my beliefs. Actually, if Jesus is your Lord, you don't. You're supposed to believe what he told you to believe. And not just make up stuff as you go along. And so the Lord challenged me, examine everything you believe and discipline yourself to find it in the Word. Because that's the only sure, solid rock foundation that you can build your life on. How did Jesus overcome every temptation in the wilderness? It is written. It is written. It is also written. If that's how he did it, what should you and I do? So uh, I'd go along for a few days and something would come up and, and the Lord would remind me, you really believe that? Yeah, yeah, sure, I've always believed that. Where is it at? Where is it at? It's easier to just be lazy and go, I'm sure that's right, that's in the Bible, I know it's in the Bible. Where? 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 <laughs> You'll find out if you start doing this. A lot of people have actually misquoted scripture. For instance, it's appointed unto man a time to die. That's a misquote. It's appointed unto man once, one time to die is what the scripture actually says. All things in moderation. That's not a scripture. And the word that the King James translated moderation literally means sweet reasonableness. Now that's quite different, isn't it? Don't let somebody else do your thinking for you. Don't let somebody else tell you what to believe. You have the reference source. You have the authoritative text. And the author of the text lives inside you. Amen. Oh, come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Go to 1 John. Second chapter. I reckon we need some of this today. There's a lot of folks believe a lot of stuff. And there are many voices in the world. Are they all right? No. Most of them's wrong. Is the majority always right? Are you kidding? <laughs> Popular opinion. Are you secure with that? What can you know that you can be secure with? Look in 1 John 2 and 20. 1 John 2, 20. You have an unction. That's the word for anointing. 
of the Holy One, and you know all things. If you've been born again, the Spirit of God is in you. And the anointing teaches you. And it comes through a knowing. This is not analysis. This is not logic. This is not mental process. If you depend entirely on your mental process and knowledge you've accumulated, you are in bad shape. I know there's people think they're so brilliant, uh, but if that's all they have, they are woefully, pitifully ignorant and don't even realize it. The Bible says the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, the start of it is the reverence and fear of God. If you don't have that, you are pitifully stupid. Oh, you may speak with perfect diction. You may be able to quote from the Greek authors, but you're pitifully stupid. And you know what's worse than being dumb? Thinking you're smart when you're dumb. Being so dumb, you don't know you're dumb. That's double dumb. And we, we've all been there to some degree, but let's don't stay there. Where does real knowledge, real intelligence, real understanding begin? It begins with the one who made your little brain. Come on now, the one who created the air you breathe and the planet that you stand on. That's the beginning of it. Say it out loud. I have an unction. I have an anointing of the Holy One, and I know everything I need to know. You see, that doesn't make you omniscient, but all the things that you know and need to know, that's how it comes. It's a knowing. You didn't know it, and now you do. You realize it, and it's a witness. You didn't figure it out. Now, you're supposed to use your head. Don't misunderstand me. But don't rely on your head. You will never know enough to make perfect decisions with your head. Never. For one thing, how much do you know about the future? How much? And that's where people labor and go, you know, how, how do, which one do I get? Where do I go? You can study. You can Google it. You can look at two million hits and you will never know because the hits you're reading are from people who don't know either. (laughs) And all you're going to do is wear yourself out. Now you use your head, but you don't rely on it to make your decisions and your life choices. Anybody remember what the scripture said in Proverbs 3? Trust in the Lord. With all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. You use your understanding, but that's not what you rely on to make your choice. You know, when the Lord dealt with us about the second church, where is it? We looked in different places than here. And even after we got settled, it was in this area of the country. Still, is it? Bradenton? Is it Fort Myers? Is it uh, Tampa? You know, where is it? Why here? Why right here in this spot? You can never know enough. We didn't even know the area. And people ask me, do you want to know about the uh, demographics? I said, no. I don't. That's not what I'm going to make my decision based on. What about the population? What about this? What about the median income? I don't even want to know. I can find out later. If I want to, I still hadn't found out. (laughs) The airplane we just got, it's a big purchase. There's so many things you wouldn't know until after you get it and find out at the next inspection or the next inspection. How do you know which one to get? And what price is a good price? One thing you missed could make your deal a bad deal. How can you know? You can't know. We looked, 
Our guys went through the books with a fine tooth comb. We did what we knew to do, what you'd call due diligence. But I'm not making my decision based on that. All the time this is going on, Phyllis and I are checking in here, checking in here, checking in here. What am I looking for? Not more information. I'm looking for that knowing. Come on, are you with me? I have an unction. Oh, somebody say, I have an unction. I have an unction. Who do you marry? You need to get it right. Is that right? And you see people, they're just silly. You know, well, they have to have this color hair, and they have to have this certain height, and they have to have this, and they have to have that. Well, they could have all that, and that ain't enough. That's not enough. It's going to take more to have a successful relationship. And, and what are they going to have 20 years from now? And what are you going to have? Right? You can't know all of these variables. Oh, but there's somebody inside you who does. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows all about all of it. And he's not going to tell you all those details. But what he will do is as you look at this, nothing, nothing. Looks good on paper, but I got nothing in here. You look at this. Mm. You look at that. Mm. You look at that, and it goes. Mm. <laughs> That's. I'm not talking about flesh. I'm not talking about head. I'm talking about a knowing, an unction, a witness, a quickening. And when it's right, the more you look at it and pray about it, the stronger it gets. And if it was God today, it's God tomorrow, and it's God next week. You know what I'm talking about. And you don't have to know all the variables. Just follow that witness. And then you'll find out as you go, it was God. The further you go, the more you'll find out. You you did good to follow him because it is the right thing. It is the right one. Read verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. And you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Now this doesn't mean that we don't need any preachers and teachers. Why did the Lord give gifts unto men? But what it does mean is you are not dependent on any man To be able to understand and know God's word and his will. You're not dependent. There are people who have left the idea. Well, you're just a lay person. You wouldn't be able to understand these things. I'm going to have to explain them to you. That's not true. The teacher lives inside you. The author of the book Now, he's going to use men and women, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. They're valuable. We need them. And things are going to come through them. But as they come through them, if it's God, the same spirit that's on them, anointing them, giving them utterance, is inside you, revealing to you, this is him. And if you don't have that quickening, then I don't care who it is or what they're supposed to know, you don't receive it. You don't accept it. And if you can't say anything else, you just say, I I don't see it. Well, yeah, but everybody's believing it and going off on it. That don't make them right. Beware of the emphasis and and the, the, the fashionable doctrine of the day. That everybody's so excited about it. If it didn't stir you inside when you heard it. Don't get on the wagon. Yeah, but it's so-and-so. I don't care. Don't get on the wagon. Phyllis and I have been spared by the mercy of God. Several different things over these past almost 40 years. People got so stirred up about this doctrine or that doctrine. And and they go, you know, come on, why, why aren't you preaching this? Well, if the Lord told you that, okay, that's between you and him. But it just didn't get me like it did you. Yeah, but there's so-and-so. Yeah, but he's the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I'm not, I'm not judging what he told you. I don't know that. But 
I don't need a reason not to do something. I need a leading to do it. Come on, are y'all with me? Why don't you get involved? Why don't you do it? I don't need a reason not to do it. I need a leading to do it. And read this again. The anointing that you've received of him, it lives in you. It stays in you. You don't need, you're not dependent on a man or woman to tell you this is God. God will use vessels to get things to you. But if it was good and it blessed you, something that a man or woman preached, it was God. It was God in them. It's God in you. It was God. And if it's God, you'll know it. Didn't the Lord say, my sheep know my voice. And a stranger, stranger, stranger's voice, they won't follow. If something's God, that's the same God that's in you. And even though it might be new to your head, it's going to have that same familiarity to your heart. But when you hear it and your heart is going, huh? What? This is strange. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing you leave alone. I don't care if all your friends go with it. That's the thing you leave alone. Trust the one who's inside you. Trust him. More than any human. More than anybody. Trust him. And that same anointing. Oh, somebody say, I have an unction. I have an anointing inside me. That anointing teaches me. That anointing causes me to know. That same anointing will teach you all things. That anointing is truth. That anointing is a person of the Holy Spirit. That anointing is no lie. And even as it he has taught you, notice, you shall abide in him. He finishes calling that anointing him. Glory to God. Hooey. How do you make your decisions? How do you know what to do every day of your life? This is how. This is how. You function by the unction. <laughs> now what about my message I was talking about earlier? <laughs> uh, this is obviously part of the message. But uh, go with me to uh, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. And uh, verse 2, well, verse 1, we'll start. Hebrews 12, 1. After the great hall of fame of faith, chapter 11, this flows together. Seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Let's run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, or as a lot of your translations will say, the perfecter perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep reading. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint When you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves. He chastens. And scourges every son whom he receives. Is this still true? That if the Lord loves you. Does he love you? There's a lot of people believe he loves them. But then you don't hear about this other part. If he loves you. What does he do? He corrects you. He corrects you. There's subtle misleading things popular in Christianity today. They sound right to those who don't know, but they're wrong and they're dangerous. The Lord loves you just the way you are. (laughs) I mean, that's widely held, right? People are proud, you know, of the fact that you know, just just come as you are and, and, and it doesn't matter and, and God loves you just like you are. Well, yes, come as you are. Yes, he loves you right now, no matter what. But no, 
He does not love all of your ungodly ways. And no, he does not want you to stay the way you are. And there's a, there's a popular move that everything that will never need to be done in our life, Jesus has already done it. And I'm accepted and God is perfectly pleased with me right now, exactly the way I am. Never need to do anything different. <laughs> well, see, part of that's true. Part of it's not true. And so if it's a half-truth, what is it? It is true that we've been born again. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And our righteousness is not our own. It's His, and therefore it's perfect. And we are accepted in the Beloved. But when we're born again, we're born babies. And we need to develop. That's what perfection is talking about. Can you see this? And as we're going to see today, we, though born of him and though born perfect in Christ, we're going through a contaminated world. And you can defile yourself and be defiled in amongst all of this ungodliness. Compared to heaven, earth is a garbage can. We don't know it because we were born here. And even in its fallen, cursed state, there's still so much beauty here. We can only, it's hard to imagine what it was like before the fall. I mean, there's so much beauty still here. And yet, The truth is, everything on this planet is dying. The earth itself is groaning and travailing. It's dying. Because of sin. Because of the curse. It's just, from our perspective, taking a long time. All the things you see on the earth, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, these are pains. The the earth is groaning. It's not right. It wasn't this way when God created it. And there's coming a time when there'll be new heavens and new earth. And there won't be any more curse. Now, we've never lived in a place like that. In a place where there's no curse, you can run through the jungles barefoot and never step on a briar. And if you run into a tiger, no problem. Just bear hug him. we've we've never been in a place like that where nothing is perverted nothing is distorted nothing is deformed and nothing ever dies we've never been in a place like that this place is dark we don't realize it because we've always been here but it's very dark and it's oppressed There's heavy oppression over the whole thing. But even though you and I are in it, we're different. We're not of it. The God of this world is not our God. Hallelujah. (laughs) Are you glad to be children of light? Children of light. Where were we? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with his with the sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? If you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then most translations say you're illegitimate and not sons. Well, are you really a child of God? That was weak. You think I'm setting you up? (laughs) Are you really a child of God? Does he love you? Then what? You can expect correction. Do you need correction? Well, have you arrived at Christ-like perfection? Then you need correction. 
and I need correction. And that's what Paul was talking about. How many believe Paul had developed compared to most folks? And yet, why did he say, I don't count myself to have completely apprehended this or obtained this, this perfection. But I'm not saying nobody's perfect and you never could be perfect. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? It's being just like the master, which is perfect. You say, well, man, I, I blew that yesterday. Yeah, but what about the blood of the Lamb? By the blood of the Lamb, you can start tomorrow, even after a bad day yesterday, with a completely clean slate. Keep reading. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? They chastened us for a few days after their own pleasure. He for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. His perfection Part of his perfection is his holiness. I believe we need to get into more, some more things about holiness. Amen. What do you think? Yes. I know it's not so popular nowadays, but if it's Bible, it ought to be popular with us. Yes. Go with me, please, to the book of John. John chapter 13 and the first verse. What's the purpose of this correction? That we might be partakers of his holiness. One of the definitions of holiness, whether you look in the Hebrew or the Greek, is cleanness, purity, and cleanness. Now, there's other words that go with this, but let's just talk about this for now. How many believe Jesus is the lamb without spot, without blemish? (laughs) There's... Was, is, never will be. Any defilement, anything perverted, distorted, unclean in him. And his desire for us is that we be like him. In John 13 verse 1, this is right at the the end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. Just hours from now, he'll be mocked and and spit on and and crucified. This is his last time with the twelve, the closest ones to him. And led by the Spirit, he told them to go and, you know, they'd find the place where they could have the, what we call the Last Supper and, and the Lord just set them up for a perfect special time before he leaves. And it says, before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew his hour was come. How did he know? The auction. Didn't say somebody told him, he heard it, he figured it out. He what? He he knew it. It's a knowing. This is how we're to operate, by the knowing. The witness of the Spirit's a knowing. Jesus knew his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Love covers the multitude of sins. You know, we're not going to be perfect in knowledge. We're not going to be perfect in understanding. We're not going to be perfect in every performance. But if your heart is right, and you love God with all your heart, and you love people with all your heart, the Lord will make up the difference for you. Amen. He loved his own. Verse 2. Supper being ended. The devil having now put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Simon's son to betray him. And the only reason he could have. Only way he could have done that. Is because Judas let him. He was open to it. He allowed him. Verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God. He rises from supper. And I, I'm sure the guys might have thought, well, uh, he, he's getting up. Is he leaving? What's he going to do? So they're looking. He gets up, laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel, wrapped it around himself. 
He poured water into a basin. I'm sure the guys were thinking, what's he doing? What is he doing? And then he knelt down and began to wash the disciples' feet. This is a very special time. They know something's up, but they don't know what he knows by revelation. Just a few hours, he's going to be on the cross. He's not going to be with them in this life anymore. And so what does what is he led to do and what does he desire to do in these last hours with them on the earth? He has a meal with them. The Passover meal. And uh, then he gets up and he does this. He begins to wash the disciples feet. Why would he do this? And then wipe them with the towel. That's why he wrapped that big towel around him. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. Verse 7. Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you don't know right now, but you will know it. You'll understand it later, after this. Peter said, no way. You're never going to wash my feet. Now, why would he say that? Well, he considers this to be too menial for the master. Now, one thing you got to remember, in these days, there wasn't as much... uh, pavement around (laughs) there's a lot of dirt dirt paths dirt streets dirt floors there's a lot of dirt and a lot of the shoes were not enclosed shoes they were sandals of different types so lots of dirt and open shoes equals Dirty feet. (laughs) Right? And so Peter, you know, implications are he's a little bit of a gruff guy. He's a fisherman. He's maybe big, maybe strong. He's used to a little dirt, you know, bother him maybe. And and I don't know when the last time he washed his feet. (laughs) But after several miles of dirt trails, and you might know what I'm talking about, and I don't know when the last time he had a pedicure. (laughs) Could be a little rough down there. (laughs) And the master, the master is going to wash these 30 feet. He said, no, Lord, no, never. And the Lord said, if I don't wash you, You don't have any part with me. Did uh, Peter need some correction? He's thinking wrong. He means well. Can you be sincere but wrong? Maybe even your motives were right. Maybe he wanted to show respect for the master. Maybe his heart was right. But he's still wrong. Do we need correction? Even when our heart's right. We could be thinking wrong. We need input. We need understanding. We are so young in existence. There's so much we don't know. We need continual instruction. And we need correction when we don't get it right. And if we didn't pay attention to correction, you need something stronger. Right? (laughs) Chastening, scourging, reproof is better than perishing. Better than perishing. He said, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. And here we see a good example of how to develop and be perfected. Peter said, well, then not just my feet, my hands and my head. (laughs) This is great. This is good. Why? How many of us should be the same way? Man, you, you may be thinking real strong about something, but when the Lord tells you, no, that's not right, what do you say? 
Okay. You need to be ready to do a 180. Is that right? Anytime. I saw this some years ago. The Lord quickened to me. I know it may sound simple. But I just realized in a greater way than I ever had before. That the Lord is smarter than me. And what does that mean? It means he made me. He knows what I'm graced to do and what I'm not. He knows the future. He just knows so much I don't know. And when he tells me something, I need to be ready to adapt to that as well as when I thought differently. For instance, if I, and there's been times I'm, I'm learning to do this, that I think, Lord, I, I, this is what I want to do. This is my thing. And the Lord said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. Then immediately you can go, right, exactly. In fact, I don't like that anymore. I, you, you don't like it, I don't like it. Now your flesh and head still going, oh, that's what we always wanted to do. You say, shut up, shut up, shut up. If the Lord don't like it, we don't like it. Right? And other things, like if the Lord says, I want you to do this, and you go, maybe you've said for years, oh, no, that's not my thing. No, no, that's not my thing. And the Lord says, I want you to do that. What do you say? Yeah, now that I look at it again. Right, Lord, if you like it, I like it. Phyllis and I were just sure we weren't pastors for 20 years. And then the Lord said, I want you to pastor. I thought, huh? I thought we already talked about this. (laughs) What? And some folks had told me there was another call that we had developed in some. And and people had said, you can't be both of those. And that can't be right. And I spent several weeks praying, trying to figure this out. And I thought, Lord, I... Mm. And finally the Lord said to me, son, quit trying to figure it out. Just do it. Just do it. And you need to go, yes, sir. Peter says, ain't no way you're washing me, Lord. No. That's just not right. No. Lord said, well, then you're not going to have any part with me. He says, well, then give me a bath. (laughs) I'm your man. Wash me, scrub me, do what you... Right? Now, I know that that sounds funny to us, but should we be this ready, this quick, to turn this much? Is that right? 180? When we need to. Is that receiving correction? That's receiving correction. It's receiving it well. Keep reading. Jesus said, he that's washed needs not save to wash his feet. He's clean every whit. And you're clean. Because he said, wash my hands, wash my head. He said, if you washed, only thing you need to wash is your feet. Why? Because of what we already talked about. Now, you know, I grew up in the deep south. And when I was a boy, we didn't have an indoor bathroom. Some folks had a bath. We had a path. To an outdoor. (laughs) And uh, that's the way it was for thousands of years in most places. And so even if you went out and took a bath at the well or at some other place, you drew some water and you got washed up real good. Well, now you got to get back to the house. (laughs) Right? And on the way to the house... Even though you might have did a good job washing your feet, they're going to get dirty again. And that's what the master is saying. He said, if you washed, if you clean, only thing you need to wash is your feet. And he said, and you're clean. But not all. And what that means is not all of you. And he's referring to Judas. Now, what does this mean? <laughs> Go to Ephesians, please. Ephesians and the fifth chapter, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That, why did he give himself for us? To redeem us, to buy us back from sin and death. And he did it that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, to us, 
with the washing of water by the word. Say that out loud. The washing of water by the word. Now this is not being washed by the blood. This is being washed by the water. Now there's a whole lot here. Now, I don't claim to know it all. Understand it all. But there's a whole lot here that we won't have time to cover all today. But if you're interested in studying it out more. You do understand that the Bible talks about the water and the blood. It talks about it in 1 John. Both being witnesses. Talks about when Jesus died and they pierced his side, out came blood and water. And as believers, we are to be blood washed and water washed. And the water washed is what? The washing of water by the word. To what end? Verse 27. That he might present it to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Oh, can you say amen? Amen. We have been washed by the blood. Our sins have been washed away. We have been made clean. We have been bathed by the Cleansing, amazing, eternal blood. But we still have to walk through this dirty earth. Right? We still have to every day rub shoulders and elbows and walk on the curse. Sin is everywhere. Defilement is everywhere, isn't it? Wrong thoughts, defiling thoughts and and beliefs and, and feelings are coming through all these voices on the TV, on the computer, on books and news. And it's it's all around at work, in your neighborhood, where you shop, where you play. And so even though you're clean and you're you're washed, you need your feet washed. And you need your mind washed with the washing of the water of the word. Hallelujah. We could say like some brides have said to their husbands. Well, why do you keep talking to me about changing things? I thought you said when we got married, you thought I was perfect. We could say to our husband, the Lord Jesus, well, you took me. You said you washed me clean and perfect. Now you want to talk to me about stuff every day. Change this. Stop this. Start this. Do less of this. Do more of this. Why? It's because he loves us. He doesn't want one spot on us. He doesn't want one wrinkle in us. Come on, can you see this? And so when he says, the master kneels down and says, let me wash this off of you. You don't go, Lord, Lord, what's something wrong with me? Well, yeah. Did you think you had arrived at perfection? Did you think walking through this, this nasty planet that you have no smudges and no spots and no wrinkles? It's not a put down that you need some correction. It's not a negative thing. It's not somebody belittling you or demeaning you. Why does God correct us? Come on, help me out. Why? why? Because he loves us. He says, here, baby, let me get this off of you. Let me get that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty. I like that right there. And if you go, well. And you despise the correction being foolish right and he says here let me let me get these feet for you yeah you've been out in the dirt hadn't you let me let me see should that make you feel demeaned belittled it should make you feel loved oh somebody say loved 
this is one of the most dear scenes, one of the most precious scenes in the whole Bible. The spotless, sinless master putting a a big towel around him and getting some water and kneeling down in front of these guys and washing their big old dirty feet. Is this special? Does he love you that way? Does he love me this way? Does he want to get the spots off of us and and the smudges and and the wrinkles out of us? Will we let him do it? Will we? You may need to humble yourself like Peter and, and, and go, okay, okay. Thank you. Let me get this off of you, son. Yes, sir. Thank you. Let me help you with this. You need to change this. Thank you. It's not a put down. I'm not supposed to take it and let it hurt me inside. I'm supposed to say, he loves me. He wants me perfect. No spots. No wrinkles. Clean. Holy. Just like him. Hallelujah. Stand up on your feet, everybody. Say it out loud. Lord, wash me with your word, with the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Wash my feet. I'll receive it gladly. I want every spot gone on the outside, on the surface. I know I'm washed by the blood. I know I'm a new creature in you. But thank you for continually helping me, correcting me, washing me, because you love me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Just lift up your hands. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we give you glory. Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, we honor you. Lord, we magnify you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, just close your eyes. Worship him for a moment. Lord, I worship you. Thank you for loving me. You did receive me just as I was. But you loved me too much to leave me the way I was. Thank you for helping me to grow up in you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.